This episode is an intense one. So much so that before I get into it, I want to ask you something. I want to ask you to trust me as a storyteller. A Scary Home Companion always covers pretty dark territory. The story in particular is one of the darker ones. No matter how dark it gets, one thing that I don't ever do is to graphically detail rape or sexual abuse, or to use those things for exploitative entertainment. At the same time, my stories deal with serial killers and deranged psychos, and these are people that are oftentimes led by their sex drives. To pretend otherwise is to insult your intelligence. Such is the case with the repulsive Gordo the Clown. His interest in children is unnatural. The mere idea of a violent piece of filth like this crashing a children's slumber party, well, it's abhorrent. There's no other way to put it, and I know this. So I'm asking you to trust me. And with that in mind, let me tell you about the time Gordo the Clown invited himself to Franny Dent's croquet and crumpets-themed slumber party. It might surprise you to hear that Gordo did not sneak in, nor did he break in. This was not his style at all. For all of his flaws, and he had more than a few, Gordo was not the type to stab you in the back. Mostly because he enjoyed stabbing in the front so much. Dig those crazy stab faces. So he rang the doorbell to the Dent household, and he waited. He adjusted an invisible tie, and he popped invisible cuffs. Janice Dent opened the door, holding money in her hand, expecting the pizza boy. She almost choked when, instead, she saw a bedraggled clown adorned in pancake makeup waiting on her doorstep. I'm here for the party, he said with a smile. I'm the clown, if that wasn't clear. Janice was momentarily confused and thought for a moment that maybe the parents of one of the other girls had sent this clown over. But it was far too late. He didn't fit the theme of croquet and crumpets, and, as she explained firmly to this clown, Franny doesn't like clowns. Gordo burst out laughing at that. He fell down and then picked himself up by the scruff of his neck and dusted himself off. If she doesn't like clowns now, just give me five minutes. Hmm, maybe two minutes. Prison's hard on a fella. And with that, he scooped up a broken piece of paving stone from the end of the sidewalk and used it to bash in Janice Dent's frontal lobes. After she fell, he kept hitting her a few more times, all the while quoting Shel Silverstein, because it felt so apt. He dragged Janice inside and stuffed her corpse into a front closet. When he went to the bottom of the stairs, he looked up and saw so many beautiful, young, terrified faces staring back at him. For the children, they mark, and the children, they know. The place where the sidewalk ends.
drinking whiskey in the kitchen and telling scary stories around the fire. Music, monsters, and mayhem, killers, cannibals, and cults, fearful fiction and furious fact, tall tales, and terrible truths. This is a Scary Home Companion. This is the story of Sheldon Dent and what happened to him on the night of the Long Knives. Shelley Dent was a good kid, just turned 17, was on the verge of starting his senior year of high school, which for him meant the final year of hell on earth. Shelley was an awkward kid, always had been. He was a little overweight. Being a teenager, his skin wasn't awesome. The fact that he worked for Pizza Shack helped out neither of these problems. And on top of that, wearing the goofy-ass orange vest visor Pizza Shack uniform only served to further damage his beleaguered self-esteem. Whereas almost every other person he knew was out at the bonfire tonight, Shelley was delivering pizzas. And goddammit, if every single person he delivered to asked him why he wasn't at the bonfire. And they did it because they knew why he wasn't at the bonfire, and they wanted to give him shit about it without being openly homophobic. Grace was a nice place to live. It was not exactly a bastion of acceptance. The fact that Shelley was open about his sexuality, that rubbed some folks the wrong way, not to the point that he got beat up over it. Sheriff Cole always maintained law and order with a stern hand. But enough so where people like to point it out, to make little comments, as if to say, Hey, boy, we know you're gay, and we think it's weird. And if that wasn't enough, Brother Mocha was all over the radio talking about the bonfire. Brother Mocha was also openly gay, but for whatever reason... The people of Grace loved him. Brother Mocha got invited to the bonfire, but not Shelley. It was maddening. As was his custom, he called his friend Holly to blow off a little steam. It had taken everything he had to not kick that last guy, Gene, right in the nuts. So smug. So condescending. Gene, of all people. As she always did, Holly managed to calm him down. And Shelley reported back to the pizza shack to pick up his next delivery, which he found was to, oh boy, his own house. A loser big brother delivering pizzas to the party of his much smarter, cooler, and more popular younger sister. This was bound to be a disaster. If only he knew. He parked in the driveway and left the car running. He wanted this as an excuse to make it quick. And he left his phone on the dashboard. Shelley picked up two large pizzas and an order of garlic knots and shambled up to the door and turned the knob. For some reason, it was locked. His mother never locked the door. So he rang the bell. For a second, he, he could have sworn he heard... Someone calling his name from the back of the house, but he quickly got distracted because the door popped open and Shelley Dent found himself face to face 
with Gordo the Clown. Shelley froze. He recognized this man. Looky, looky, Gordo shouted out with glee. Something yummy for my tummy, and he brought a pizza. Shelley said, you're, you, you're Gordo the Clown. You were on court TV. Gordo took a bow, always happy to meet a fan. You, And then he looked down and Shelly saw blood on the clown's hands. It was candy apple red. And then all that pent-up rage from Gene and all the other assholes in Grace, all of a sudden, it really came in handy as Shelly Dent hauled back and kicked Gordo the clown between the legs full force. The clown bent over, clutching at his crotch, and acting purely on instinct, Shelly grabbed Gordo by the hair, tossed him into the sidewalk, and ran inside. Gordo popped right back up on invisible strings, and he rushed the door, but Shelly slammed it in his face and threw the bolt. He found Franny and her friends in the kitchen. Gordo had made them all sit around the dining room table, and they were still too scared to move. Through the back kitchen window, Shelly saw Gordo walking past, and he ran to the back door to lock it, all the while screaming at the girls for somebody to call the police. Sheriff's office? There's a clown here, and he killed my mom. Sounds like Gordo. Who is this? If I were you, I'd kill myself. You'll be better off compared to what the clown will do to you. Bye! Gordo stomped around the outside of the house. The scent of the children was in his nose now. It was filling his head with such wonderfully naughty thoughts, and he was he was incensed. There was no more time to be wasted. No more Mr. Nice Clown. And he picked up a patio chair to put it through a window. Before he remembered where he was, this was just the sort of small, sleepy country town where idiots left their windows unlocked. And flick, voila, no breaking needed. Despite his earlier outburst, Shelley was not a fighter by nature. And now that he had a few panicked seconds to get inside his own head and think about it, the fear was starting to take hold and make all of his muscles clench up stiff. But then he heard a window sliding open, and he hurried all the girls up the stairs. They would barricade themselves in Franny's bedroom and hopefully at that point come up with the next part of the plan. As they ran... Gordo tippy-toed through the house, Looney Tunes style, with big, exaggerated steps, playing to a non-existent camera. He picked up a couple of knives and a meat tenderizer from the kitchen, and then, what the heck, he picked up a couple more knives. And he started moving up the steps, dancing up the steps, singing his theme song, Gordo. prancing up the steps towards a slumber party that wept 
and trembled before him like something out of the most wonderful dream. It had been over 15 minutes, and Emily Mason was beyond bored. She was that special kind of, I'm bored, that only afflicts the very young, that turns their bones into jelly. She'd called the deputy man. She'd talked to him. He said he was coming right in, and she believed him. But how long was that going to take anyway? She had bandaged up Benji's wounded hand, and he was still standing there just staring at it. Ben Burroughs was beyond feeling any pain, but he was studying his fingers, counting them over and over, as if he was trying to remember how many he used to have. Emily decided it was time to move on. There were too many dollies out there to play with. She couldn't let Gordo have all the fun. So she had Ben empty out the gun locker so that she could leave a little surprise for the deputy before they left. Back of the hardware store, the machinist set about readying his tools for the next procedure. He knew that he needed to be very careful this time. His first three subjects, the woman and the two young men who had been working at the store, had all broken before he could really enjoy the process. All that time inside had left the machinist a bit rusty, also a bit eager to dig too deep, too fast, cut too much. Fortunately, this new subject of study had run right into his arms, thanks in part to the beast in the woods outside. The machinist was a bit rusty indeed, because he was not at all aware that Marla Cole had woken up and was quietly studying her surroundings. She was bound by the wrists with chains to a bolt hook in the ceiling. On a table saw that had been set up in front of her, this mad torturer had laid out an array of blades and forceps and clamps and rubber tubing. 
she risked a quick glance at the back door and saw the monster in the woods just outside the window running past. And she realized even if she could escape the clutches of this man, where could she go? She was surrounded by evil. And so Marla closed her eyes and she prayed. Sheriff Jim, listen. It's Maggie down at the diner. You gotta get over here now. There's this great big fella walked in and he's, he's really scaring me. Get down right now. Oh, God! At the Grace Diner for the first time in 15 years, the sign was flipped to closed. The door was locked. The front lights were off. And finally, Obadiah Moncrief was getting some food. Real food. Not the hospital stuff and not the scraps off the floor left by Razor Mouth, but real food. The place had an industrial-sized griddle in the kitchen, which was a perfect match with the industrial-sized cook who had been working on it and was now laying on it. Well, parts of him. Mostly the sweetbreads and half a side of ribs. The waitress was proving to be more trouble than she might be worth. Obi liked a little fight in his women, but there were limits. After she woke up from the beating he'd just laid on her, he'd see if she would be a little more compliant. In the meantime, he found the cook's radio. Obi twiddled around for a country and western station. Next to the radio, he saw the picture of a pretty young lady. Could have been more than 15. Before he even ate supper, Obi was thinking on dessert. Join Scott, Jeff, and Cody each week as we help you navigate through the realm of free-to-play games. Budget Arcade is not responsible for money lost on microtransactions. All loot box purchases are final. Get Budget Arcade wherever you download your podcast from. That was Fishing in the Dark by the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Come on, babies. Y'all are killing Brother Mocha. Nobody out there wants to hear Earth, Wind, and Fire? Ohio players? Donna Summers? Throw me a bone. Fine then. Be that way. Let's see what's up next. Thank God I'm a country boy. Girl! 96.9 FM, The Valley. Gordo sat at the top of the steps, reclining in an invisible spotlight and singing to his captive audience down the hall. It's Gordo, viva la Gordo. Chop off your arms and legs as a rewardo. He danced down the hallway and he rap a tap tapped on the door. Are you there, Margaret? It's me, Gordo. Inside the room, the girls huddled together in a clump, clutching onto Shelley because he was the biggest 
and the strongest and the oldest. Franny looked up at him, imploring her big brother with her eyes. What do we do? And if he was being honest, Shelley had no fucking idea what they were supposed to do. Gordo backed up and kicked the door. It was a thin door in an equally thin frame. Gordo was no strong guy, more of a pencil neck geek, but the lust in his heart fueled him on in a frenzy to smash that hollow door right off the hinges. And in tune with his kicks, the clown rhymed a happy rhyme. Always smiling, never frowning, never goofing, always clowning, sometimes swimming, sometimes drowning, inside out and upside downing, in your window just past midnight, in your skin suit. It feels just right. One more solid kick and the bottom hinge pulled free of the wood. The door started to break free. Shelley knelt down in the middle of them. Listen, he whispered. We have to fight. There's no way out. We have to fight him and if we fight him all at once, we can beat him. I know we can. But in no way did he know that they could. He didn't know if he could. If Franny wasn't there, looking at him with their mother's eyes, he might have shit his pants and crawled under the bed and called it a night. He looked around the room desperately, searching for some kind of weapon, and then... That. Yes, I think that will do nicely. Franny, grab the croquet set. Everyone, take a mallet. The croquet set was the kind you get at Walmart. It was made of cheap wood and plastic. These mallets were by no means weapons of war, but it was better than nothing. Gordo knocked the second hinge loose, and the door fell to the side and dropped to the floor. He entered the room with a grand flourish, waving blades in each long-fingered hand. Shelley raised his croquet mallet. The clown giggled at him. You got some sillies to get out, pizza boy? Shelley Dent stepped forward and swung with everything he had. He was no athlete. He was certainly no fighter. And he knew he only had one shot. So he put his full, considerable weight behind the swing and brought the head of the mallet down squarely between Gordo's eyes. Bonk. Have you ever swung a croquet mallet? Like I said, these were not weapons of war. They do nothing. And Gordo got the joke. He started laughing and pointing at Shelley with his knives, advancing on him. And then fearlessly, Franny came in from behind and hit Gordo on the side of the knee. Ah, what the shit, kid? It was just a hint of pain, but it was like a drop of blood in the water. And like that, something changed inside those kids. 
with the ferocity and suddenness of a pack of starving and rabid chihuahuas, the girl's slumber party set upon the clown, all of them swinging and hitting. And yeah, sure, maybe none of these dozens of blows hurt that much individually, but this was a swarm. They hit him from all angles, and he tried to get away, and he tripped over his own comically large feet, and he landed on his back. In the process, he fell on the handle of one of the girl's croquet mallets. The cheap wood snapped and splintered in her hand. She was just holding a broken handle. And without a second of hesitation, that girl kept swinging and stabbed Gordo the Clown in the neck with the jagged end. The arc of rich red arterial spray spurting across the room only intensified their lord of the Flysian rage, and they all pounded him harder and harder until all the handles had broken, and they were all stabbing him with handfuls of long, thin splinters. Shelley, for his part, was still standing there. Croquet mallet held limply in his hand, absolutely goddamn dumbfounded. Eventually, silence descended on the room. One by one, the girls started to shake free of this madness, and now they all just looked a little disoriented. Gordo, for his part, looked like a pincushion, dozens of long splinters sticking out of him in every direction. Sheldon tried to sound decisive. We need to get out of here. Let's go get Holly and find the sheriff. Franny asked, Well, if we're going to see Holly at the diner, can we get ice cream sundaes? Shelley nodded. Yes. I think ice cream sundaes are in order. Holly's folks were the cook and the waitress at the Grace Diner, and they would most certainly be able to help. And with that whisper of hope to lead him, Shelley packed up all the kids into his car, and he drove them towards a gluttonous cannibal and a hot griddle. Life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle. Just ask Gordo. Thanks for listening to Night of the Long Knives Part 3. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Quite frankly, I enjoyed the hell out of this one. Send me your feedback to ascaryhomecompanion at gmail.com, the same title on Facebook, and if you're on the Twitters, 
look for me under the handle NateFlix. Subscribe via Buzzsprout, iTunes, or by clicking that little heart on Spotify. I appreciate reviews. Post a review on your favorite reviewing platform. And if you have a podcast and would like to cross-promote with mine, like to find folks at Budget Arcade, get at me. Music this episode was provided by Noisy Filter with Abandoned Laboratory, Matt Siekel with The Man in Black and Running Nose, the supremely talented Dan Lilly, who wrote and performed the Gordo theme and the metal Gordo Redux. Chelsea Oxendine provided the theme music. Some great guest voices this week provided by Kevin Sario, Alex Kreider-Evans, Jamie Lee Hensley, Savannah Hensley, and Evie Hensley. No relation. The episode was edited and produced by Night of the Long Jeff. this guy yelling in the middle of the street I don't know join Scott, Jeff, and Cody each week as we help you navigate through the realm of free to play games Budget Arcade is not responsible for money lost on microtransactions all loot box purchases are final get Budget Arcade wherever you download your podcast from now who's this guy? I don't know he just he keeps yelling I'm not really sure <laughs>